0: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this week I want to do an update on the strike situation. The last time I talked to you about it, the Writers Guild had gone on strike, and well, now the uh, ante has been upped as SAG-AFTRA has also gone out on strike. So I thought I would give you an overview and a sense of what it's like and what the issues are, again, that we are fighting for and the dynamics and basically just what is happening in this town. Like I mentioned, SAG-AFTRA went out on strike. Know how many members of SAG-AFTRA there are? 160. Now, SAG-AFTRA includes radio performers and voiceover people, uh, background people, but still 160,000 members. <laughs> Guess how many are actually working? A small fraction, and of those working members, an even smaller fraction makes enough money to qualify for health insurance and pension benefits. Okay? If an actor works, he basically works sporadically, occasionally. I mean, that's the rank and file of the union. It's not Tom Hanks, okay? And it's not Ryan Seacrest and they all get 17 different jobs, and they're all making millions of dollars. But in terms of the rank-and-file people, people like you and me, well, most of those actors are out of work. And when they do get work, number one, it's sporadic, and number two, they're underpaid. Because of inflation rates, what they are making now is basically less than what they made several years ago. And that is one of the issues. Since they went on strike, it shut down production entirely in this town and in New York and anywhere else. Uh, When the writers went on strike, as is always the case, as were the canary in the minefield um yeah, something shut down uh some things were slowed but uh not like this <laughs> not like this the town completely shut down and may I take a moment to talk about the directors guild I'm a member of the directors guild and I have to say I am somewhat embarrassed by how the DGA handled these negotiations as opposed to the other unions. The DGA negotiated with the producers, AMPTP, that is the uh, conglomerate that is negotiating on behalf of the studios and networks and producers. And the Writers Guild could not make a deal. We were way off. sag After could not make a deal. They were way off. The DGA rolled over and made a horrible deal. Just a horrible deal. As a member, I voted no when we were asked to ratify the deal. And there's some suspicious things that you look at in the DGA deal. They say residuals have gone up 80%. Well, yeah, but see, the residuals were $3. So now they're 5 Big fucking deal. In terms of AI, which is a major issue because AI could replace all of us in some form or fashion in the industry, not to mention whatever industry you happen to be in. Well, for AI... The DGA agreed that um, they would have a meeting once a year to discuss it. (laughs) Somebody had a picket sign that said, you couldn't even negotiate two meetings a year? And all the producers would concede is that AI is not an actor. What? What the hell does that mean? So, the DGA signs this horrible deal, and two, three weeks later, SAG goes out on strike, town is completely shut down, and the directors have gotten fucking screwed. Because when this thing is finally over, Writers Guild is going to have a much better deal, SAG-AFTRA is going to have a much better deal. And not only did the DGA roll over and get a bad deal, but they ended up being out of work just as long as the rest of us anyway. So, again, great idea for the DGA to settle with these people. I mentioned the AMPTP. They publicly, they publicly said that their end game in terms of the Writers Guild was to break our union. Their end game was to hold off even negotiating with us until around the end of october beginning of november hoping that members would lose their homes and lose their apartments and lose their life savings and come crawling back and signing any deal that that they proposed okay now that may be their end game behind closed doors But to come out publicly and say that is staggering to me. That's what we're dealing with here. That's our opponent. As Barry Diller said when he spoke on Face the Nation a couple of weeks ago on CBS, he said part of the problem is there is absolutely zero trust between the AMPTP and the WGA and SAG. At, why should there be? Why should there be? Now one of the reasons why SAG in particular is pissed is because they felt they got duped. Because their contract was up the 30th of June and in good faith they and the producers extended for two more weeks now, during those two weeks, the producers stonewalled them. The producers canceled meetings. The producers would not deal with any of the big issues that were on the table. And basically, what SAG after realized was they just bought two more weeks, did the producers in order to promote their summer movies. That's the only reason why they extended the contract talks, because they wanted to promote the movies. Because now that SAG-AFTRA is on strike, actors are forbidden from going on interview shows, uh, doing junkets, promoting their movies in any way. And that's a big, big help to a movie's success, okay? You need that promotion. You really, really do. So for the studios, they were able to buy two weeks, quote, good faith, and sag after feels that they have been swindled. So yes, there is no trust when it comes to any of that. And then you look at the CEO's. Some of the major corporations. David Zaslav. I think that's how you pronounce it. Z-A-S-L-A-V. He's the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. Between 2018 and 2022, Mr. Zaslav made a half a billion dollars. Okay? Five hundred million dollars himself. Okay, and that doesn't count this year. Half a million dollars. Now, Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney, he also is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think he makes something like mm, $29 million a year, probably more with bonuses. And he was interviewed a few weeks ago and said that, the demands of the writers and the actors are in his words unrealistic <laughs> unreal a guy making 29 million dollars a year probably is also worth a half a billion dollars for all of his years at disney and and he is saying that the rank and file members of the writers guild and the Screen Actors Guild that are barely scraping together a living, the fact that that they, they want to be able to feed their family, they want to be able to have health insurance, this is unrealistic. This is unrealistic. And what they point to is they all point to... Uh, Poverty, that, that the industry is just getting hammered and no one is making any money. Well, most of the money that these CEOs make are based on profits, okay? So if Zazlab is making half a million dollars in four years, it's because the profits on Warner Brothers' discovery have to be absolutely through the roof. And I saw a statistic that said, in 1980, the CEO's salary was 30 times that of what a regular employee's salary would be. Now, 400 times. So, when they cry poor... (laughs) bullshit. Uh noticed just a couple of weeks ago when Barbie and Oppenheimer opened, it was like the fourth biggest opening of all time. There's all this money coming in. So, mm, I don't know if you can really claim poverty Uh, and they're saying, well, look at all the movies that were bombs, the Transformers were bombs, and uh, Indiana Jones was a bomb, and The Flash was a bomb, and, like, who told you to make those movies? You people that are making millions and millions, you're the ones making that decision. Then make better movies. Then make better movies. Then figure out that people don't want to see 78-year-old... Harrison Ford in an action film and that that Indiana Jones was like a big movie icon for people who are now okay boomers okay yeah, so you know don't blame the out of work writers and actors for the fact that you spent a fortune on bad movies. Uh, another thing, and again, I'm just kind of riffing off the top of my head here, but the producers claim, well, you know, the top A-list actors also make $19, 20000000 million a year. Yeah, but they don't determine what everyone else makes, okay? They don't determine policy. And they don't make their money necessarily based on a corporation's profits. So they can't make more money next year by laying off a lot of people, by cutting budgets. Okay, An actor is in a movie. If the movie doesn't open, if the movie is a bomb and he makes two or three of those, all of a sudden... That A-list actor is not making $20 million a picture. He's making eight. He's making six. He's doing television. So you can't really equate what Bob Iger is making to what Kevin Cosner is making. But, of course, that's, you know, what they want to do. So the length of the strike. Well... I think it's going to be sometime in the fall. And it's not a matter of whether the Writers Guild caves or whether sag after caves, because at this point, if we make a bad deal, then, then there's no union anymore, okay? They pretty much have broken the union. So it's not like you say, okay, sign the deal and everyone goes back to work on Monday. No, we're all still out of work. So we might as well hang in there for a better deal. I mean, I've been through five strikes. God, I can't believe I've been through five strikes. and I'm only 36 years old. Five strikes, and they're all ugly. Some of them are lengthy. But I've never seen a strike this ugly. And like I mentioned the last time, in previous strikes, back in the days when motion picture companies and television networks were owned by show people, were owned by by people who loved and made their livings making movies and making television shows, now it's not, now this is just a... Division of some giant conglomerate. But there was always that one guy who generally was Lou Wasserman of Universal. And Lou Wasserman would determine, okay, the strike has gone on long enough. And he'd make a couple of phone calls, and all of a sudden, everyone was back at the negotiating table and 24 to 36 hours later, the deals were closed. I don't know if there is that guy now. And I think part of the problem is the fact that the networks have a different agenda than the movie studios, who have a different agenda than the streamers. And so how long this goes, how much it hurts each of them... It's going to be interesting to see. When the writers were striking against agencies a few years ago, eventually agencies just broke off and signed individual deals. And that caused a fissure in the negotiations and eventually it was settled. That may happen here too. What also may happen is that uh, certain... State governments get involved. You know, when uh, the governor says to the producers, we're going to take away your tax benefits if you don't make a deal. This is really ridiculous. And make no mistake about it. There is a strike only because the producers have let it happen. They have the power to say, okay, let's go back to the table and let's solve this thing and let's get back to work. So, you know, all of the collateral damage, and there's a ton of it, especially now with the actors going out, but, you know, all of the, the grips and the craft services people and the publicists and everybody who works in the industry with a massive shutdown... Editors have nothing to edit. Casting directors have nothing to cast. All of that is just collateral damage, and it is the producers that are making that call. So I think the strike is going to go mm, probably into the fall. So what are some of the issues? I touched on it earlier. Residuals. For most writers... And actors, if you are on an episode of television, you might live the next year or two based on residuals from other shows that you have either appeared on or you've written. They're they're very, very important. Now, in the old model, a show would air on NBC, and then it would rerun, and you'd get a residual. And if the show was a hit, like, say, Golden Girls, well, then it went on into syndication, and you continue to make money in perpetuity. So if you were a writer on a hit show, you made some pretty good residuals. My partner David and I were very lucky. We have a lot of... MASH episodes. We have Forty Cheers episodes that we wrote. We've got multiple Frasiers and I've got multiple episodes as a director of Everybody Loves Raymond and Wings and Frasier and Darman Gregg and a lot of other shows, Becker, that continue to pay residuals. Well, that was in the old days, but now that there's streaming, an episode appears on Netflix, you can watch it any time. So how do you get any kind of royalty? Well, in the past, they negotiated a pittance. I rarely see any royalties from streaming. And again, I probably have, between writing and directing, the various series that are on the air, I probably have upwards of 70 to 80 shows that will pay some residual. Now, it may be small. I've got MASH episodes that are in the 800th run, so I'm making really pennies on that. But still, so you figure with... 70 episodes you know 50 dollars here and 120 dollars there blah, 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 that that my streaming would be significant nothing it's basically borscht now one of the proposals that sag has suggested is that you get residuals based on success of the show based on the number of people who have Watch the show based on subscription. Well, you may notice that the streaming companies are very, very stingy in announcing how many people watch your shows. And they know. I mean, <laughs> they know down to the minute because it's, it's all online. And they know who you are when you watch a show. When you turn off that show, when you watch the next episode, they have all of these algorithms that have never gone public. When television was controlled by broadcast networks, it it depended on ratings, and an independent company, Nielsen, provided the ratings. So the overnight ratings were in the newspaper, The next day. We all were privy to how many people were watching any particular show. We really have no idea as to how many people are watching Netflix, how many people are watching each particular show. Well, we want to find that out and we want to be able to share in that revenue. Well, They've gotten away with not having to pay us for all this time. So, needless to say, they don't want to pay us now. But the old model is dead. (laughs) Shows don't rerun on NBC anymore. Shows don't go into syndication anymore. I asked a friend of mine who works in local television in Los Angeles, and I said to him, okay, you've got a local station here that's doing news from 3 in the afternoon until 7 o'clock at night. Wouldn't it be cheaper to just run syndicated shows? And they said, no, it's cheaper to do a local newscast than it is to run Cheers or Friends or MASH. So the syndication model is over. And also, if you were a show creator and your show became a big hit, like Friends, then you got a portion of the profits and you made tons and tons of money. There are very few Friends. It's really like winning the lottery. But if you do, it's huge. Well, that's gone. You're not going to have shows doing 200 episodes anymore. When there were shows on the network and it was a hit, there would be 22 to 25 episodes a year. If you have a hit show on Netflix, they'll make 10, make 8, they make 6. And after three or four seasons, they go, okay, we have enough. We have 32 episodes of this show, we don't need to do any more because at some point the actors are going to want more money and the writers are going to want more money and they're going, "You know what? Nah. It's just as easy to say, you know, 30 episodes and done and we'll try something new." So, all of those models that were the foundation of writers and actors making a living Those have all crumbled, and we are in a new world. So in order to survive in this new world, we want a piece of it. There's a lot of profit to be made, but they do not want to pay it. The actors want, for the first year minimums, an increase of 11%, which brings it up to the current level of inflation. Okay, they're not asking for a 60% increase. They just want to basically have the minimum pay as much now as it did four years ago. What do you think the producers say to that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In terms of AI, the producers want to do this. If you're a background player, they want to pay you for one day, They want to do a digital copy of you and then be able to use that for, I don't know, eternity. When I was on MASH, we had about, I'd say, eight or nine background people. And you always saw them. They were always in the mess tent and they were always in OR and running around. And they became part of our family. And these people, for 11 years, that was their job. They made a living as a background person on MASH. And in a number of cases, we promoted them, and we gave them lines, and we put them in prominent spots so that you could see them very clearly in the shows. Well, for 11 years, these people made a nice living. Now, you're saying you work one day, and we pay you your $120 a day or whatever it is, and then they can use you for the next 11 years for free? (laughs) Come on. So these are some of the issues that we have all been wrestling with, and uh, I have to say... It's week 14 of the Writers Guild strike. And I go out there a few times a week. And, he, you know, you figure, okay, the first two or three weeks, everyone's going to be out there. And then by week 14, there's going to be six people. No. Uh, we are all really into this, we are all very committed. And now we have the actors joining us. So the picket lines are a lot more attractive these days. But I'm seeing big names out there on the line. Um, Timothy Oliphant uh, was out there at Fox. Uh, Jennifer Garner uh, was out there uh, a few days ago. Uh, I, a number of, of big-name actors. And I just go to 20th Century Fox because it's close and it's cooler. Uh, But there's a lot of, of big actors who are joining the ranks and are out there with their picket signs. And we are going to continue and we will do it as long as it takes. And that is your update on the current strike situation. Uh, if you have any thoughts, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com is my email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And as always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to John Wolfert, to Bruce and Jason Miller. And to Howard Hoffman. And I will join you again next week. Really good interview. Really good television interview coming up next week. So thanks for listening to Hollywood and the Fine. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs> okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.